story. I, I've missed the hints about the struggle that affected the average Egyptian citizen, Jane and Joe Egyptian, if you want to call them that, when all this began. See, it started off with Aaron and Moses coming before Pharaoh and Aaron throwing his staff down before them and it turning into a snake, which the magicians copied. But there was a hint of something greater there when Aaron's staff swallowed up the staves of the magicians that had turned into snakes. And to Pharaoh, it was a sign of God's power, but he was hard and chose to ignore it. And for Jane and Joe Egyptian, it could have been nothing more than a story on the Egyptian news network, something of interest, and it might not have affected them, but it could have, because the sign was there, something greater that was going on. And then Tom brought to us the story last week of the first plague, the water being turned to blood, when Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And when all the water in Egypt from the Nile to everything in the homes turned from water into blood, Pharaoh hardened his heart, chose to ignore it, and turned around and went back into his palace. But Jane and Joe had to dig for water just to drink, and they had to plug their nose because of the stink. See, it was no longer outside the door, but it was inside their house. And then Moses and Aaron come before him again and say, let my people go. And frogs came upon the land. And the magicians were able to copy it. But Jane and Joe, well, there they were with frogs inside their house. And Moses may have been hard. And he said, pray so that the, the, whole, the uh, frogs will be taken away. And I'll let the people go. But even with the stench of dead frogs in his nostrils, he changed his mind and he chose to ignore the plight of those that were suffering around him. And Jane and Joe were left to sweep up and pile the frogs into dead heaps with the stink about them. See, it was not only just in their house, but the frogs around them. And it certainly did begin to affect them. And then when Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh again, and there were gnats upon the land, and the magicians couldn't copy this one, and they said, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh chose to ignore it, but there were Jane and Joe with Pharaoh with, with gnats upon them everywhere, everywhere. And when it became bigger, and it wasn't just gnats, and the next plague were just flies. And Pharaoh seemed to negotiate, worship the Lord in Egypt, and I'll let them go, just to do that. But then he changed his mind. But not only the air was filled with flies, but also on the ground, covered with it. And the land, as a result, were ruined as Jane and Joe looked around them, and it gets worse. Moses and Arrow didn't change. What they were saying was they held firm to. Let my people go, they said, and they appeared before Pharaoh again. And all, of us, all the livestock will die everywhere in the land except where the Israelites lived in Goshen. And Pharaoh finds out, investigates, and all the livestock around him die, except in Goshen, but he chooses to ignore it. And there's Jane and Joe, the average Egyptian citizen, no animal power, perhaps no meat to eat, and no form of transportation provided by animals, having to bury and burn their livestock and buy new livestock from a neighboring country. This is hurting them. It's hurting their economy. With no war horses to defend the land and only foot soldiers of the army to depend upon, they could be in danger. And you can see that they could probably be very worried about what's happening around them. And yet it continues. Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh and throw soot into the air. And not only do the magicians can't stand because of the boils upon them, but Jane and Joe 
their livestock now covered with boils and they themselves covering because of the boils on their skin. See that this isn't a problem not just on them, but it seems to be something in them. And if Pharaoh would just relent, it would benefit all of them because now it's hurting them directly. And yet Pharaoh chooses to ignore. And this time Moses and Aaron come before them with a warning. And they say, by now, I could have stretched out, God could have stretched out his hand and struck you and wiped your people with a plague off the face of the earth. But now bring in the livestock, bring them in and bring in your people from the land because a deadly hail will fall and it will cut everything that's left out in the open. Everything that's hit by the hail will die. And this time, the officials listened. Those who feared the Lord brought in their livestock, brought in their people, and those that didn't left them out on the land. But you could probably imagine the fear that rushed through them when the hailstones began to fall. And Pharaoh negotiates a second time. Men can only go and worship. And he admits that he's sinned. Pray and take this away. And there's Jane and Joe. This time, the land's destroyed. Everything is stripped because of the hail. The livestock that may have been left in the field had died, and he may have known someone that was affected and killed as a result of this plague. And it continues on. Three more plagues to go, and steadily getting worse. Moses and Aaron saying, let my people, my people go again, or locusts will come and destroy the land. And the officials this time say, let them go. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? And Pharaoh, he ignores and locusts come. And what was remaining of the crops in the land are now destroyed. Everything is gone. And really, what was there left to eat? But it continues. And darkness falls across the land. And there they are sitting in darkness for three days. A darkness that could be felt everywhere except in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. The oppressors have now become oppressed. Those who caused the suffering are now suffering themselves. And Pharaoh calls them in. And Moses says, it will get worse. You will let the people go because death will come to the firstborn and to the animals because of your hard heartedness and you're choosing to ignore the suffering. And sure enough, that night, as we've had read to us, when they wake up and they were wailing all over the land because the firstborn sons were found to have died, and the firstborn amongst all the animals were no longer. There was weeping and wailing in the land of Egypt such that had never been heard before. And Pharaoh rises up and says, up, get up and leave this land and bless me as well. And for Jane and Joe, is Joe even still alive at this point? Was he one of those firstborn sons? I don't know. But for the average Egyptian citizen, they urged the Israelites to hurry and giving them gold and silver, clothing, anything they asked for, just leave. Some of them, as we're told, went with them. That some of them was a change of heart because they saw what was happening around them. And what can we conclude from all this that we saw happening? That after 430 years, that there was finally this change. Those that had come into the land had become oppressed, were now actually leaving the ones who had suffered so much were now leaving with the ones with the wealth from a land 
that they had come to because of its wealth, but now leaving because it was broken. And in conclusion, we could see that the struggles and the suffering of others around me, however different from me, still affect me. The struggles and the suffering of others, however different from me, still affect me because like me, they are human too. You may not understand what what the struggles and sufferings are like, but I begin to imagine what it feels like to be in the place of someone who is suffering like that. And it should make me uncomfortable to see others suffering because they are no different from me. They are human beings with a history and with relationships and hopes, just like me. What do I do about that? We can choose to ignore it, accept the unfair treatment of my fellow human beings as just a part of life, which I can't change. Besides, I'm content with my life. That was Pharaoh's strategy, but you can see it didn't work. And like Jane and Joe, it began to hurt them as well. And when we choose to ignore, it begins to hurt us too. We can choose to excuse it. We could see it as a struggle between those who are suffering and those in power. And then we can start to make excuses for why that might be happening. But see, there wouldn't be any trouble if they had not done something wrong. See, it's easy to find a reason for why the one suffering deserves to be corrected for resisting or punished for reacting against the unfair treatment. But would we really react any differently if the situations were switched? It makes the one suffering become a victim all over again, and it's wrong to do. Any reaction from the one oppressed is judged by the one oppressing as uncalled for, and that their punishment is justified while the unfair treatment continues. And that's not right. See, the problem with ignoring and excusing is that they just don't work because they view the struggle and the suffering from an us and them point of view. And that perspective is the wrong perspective because it segregates community and it destroys a country. And after a civil war and a civil rights movement and continued civil unrest in my own country because the unfair treatment of people who aren't white, I want to say to my country, let's change this. Do you not yet realize that America is ruined? If we lived out the truth that all men and women are created equal, we would all benefit. The struggles and the suffering of others, however different from me, affect me because they become my struggles and my suffering too. I may not understand it, but it does begin with that uncomfortable feeling. As we read in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. There's no exclusion there. There's no us in them. It is a we. It is only we. 
And when I learn of another's suffering, the uncomfortable feelings stirred inside of me bring me into their struggle. I may not understand it. I may not fully comprehend it, but it starts to bring me into it. And just like the fellow, that, that average Egyptian citizen, Jane and Joe, the struggle and the suffering are something that I learned that my fellow human being is going through is no longer outside my door. It's in me. What do I do with that struggle? You know, I may not be directly treating someone unfairly, but if I know someone who is either treating someone unfairly or being treated unfairly, what do I do about it? And if I say and do nothing, how is that viewed by the abuser? As somehow approving? That makes me complicit. How is it viewed my inaction by the one who's being abused as somehow uncaring or somehow they deserve it? No. And how is it viewed by God as uncompassionate and unloving towards my neighbor who he calls me to love? You see, when I bring these feelings to God, I allow his concern and his compassion to become my own. And I can begin to care for my neighbor who he has called me to love, my neighbor who is suffering. And that's the beginning of the ways that we can start to stand with them, with my neighbor, with amongst those who are suffering. You see, I may not know what it is like to suffer and a struggle because of unfair treatment because of my skin color or my gender. But then listening to the ones who do begins that journey towards understanding. And just like that video, we should have those feelings that are uncomfortable. Or just like Debbie who shared last week, we should be uncomfortable with that. It costs a lot of an emotional energy just to talk about that suffering. And you know, it's okay for me to feel bad because of it. I want to say I'm sorry because of the unfair treatment that those amongst us have, have experienced because they may not necessarily look like I do. That's not right. And excusing such behavior or saying just wait does nothing to help. Instead, what I should ask, what advantage does my skin color or my gender give me to open up the door for equal treatment and fair treatment for the ones amongst us who are struggling and suffering? Was there no one to stand with Debbie when she shared about those experiences? Was there no one to stand with this eight-year-old boy who suffered this in a stadium full of people who then turn and who knows what happened next? It's sickening. And it should be, because those sorts of things should not be. Instead, for whatever the reason, what other reason has God blessed me and given me an advantage just because of my skin color or my gender, if not to help those amongst us who don't have the same advantage and who are struggling and suffering? Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Very, very much. As David mentioned, we are very blessed by people sharing a little bit of their story over these last few weeks. And um, I'm delighted that um, Fiona um, is going to uh, share a little bit with us uh, this morning. So I'm going to um, 
hand over to to her and she can uh, share a little bit of, of what uh, she wishes to share with us. So I um, can't quite find you on my screen at the moment. There you are, Fiona. <laughs> so uh, please uh, do, um, do, uh, do, do share with us. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Thank you. Um, thank you, David, for what you just said. Um, can, can everybody hear me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So um, I'm going to read out my thoughts today because um, I'm quite nervous and I'd find it easier to express myself like this. Um, I have been going to St. Christopher's Church for 20 plus years. Our three children have been brought up in this church. Uh, most of you know me. Um, my experience of being Asian in the UK has been moulded by my parents who arrived in the UK by invitation from the government in the 60s. They were young, hard workers, keen to be part of English society, but unfortunately their strong Indian accents made it difficult for them and they were teased about this. The shock of loss of family of friends, loss of culture, the change in weather, and the lack of help to transition to a new country made it very difficult for them. And um, they struggled with all these changes for a long time. And I still wonder if they ever recovered, to be honest. Um, we've just watched that video, which um, expresses perfectly a lot of my feelings about what it's like to not be white. So we all thought it was normal to be frightened of a group of white men of any age because there was a high chance we would be threatened or mocked. But when I say we, I mean my parents and I have three siblings. We learnt in general to avoid eye contact with a group like this, and in fact, to change direction on the street if we saw anyone like that walking towards us in case it turned into something hostile. When I went to secondary school, um, which it was a privilege to go to that school, I went to a really good school, um, however, I became aware of lots of differences between me and my peers, the biggest of which is what I call the invisible rules of England. I never felt I quite knew how I was expected to behave. I never quite knew what subjects were open to discussion, and I never knew quite what to avoid either. So, but in India, or in our house, our family would talk about most things very loudly and very emotionally, but that isn't how it's done in England. And I always felt like an outsider because I didn't know what was expected of me. Mike, as you can probably guess, is still trying to teach me, but I now realize that it's also important to be myself and to accept that I always will be different. And it's important to make my peace with that. I have been considerably helped on this journey by my many friends at St. Christopher's. I can look around at almost everybody today I know that at some point in my journey, everybody who knows me here has been of help or encouragement to me. The wonderful people who run and volunteer for creche, children and young adult groups have always shown love towards my children and their race has never been an issue. The feast has also shown love and acceptance to the children and been a great source of fun and friendship for them. 
My peers here of all colours have been with me through the enormous ups and downs of family life. And my first placement as a counsellor came about through Jean, Mary and the Springfield Surgery. So I have a lot to be grateful for. Without discounting all the hurt and the shame and the embarrassment that goes along with being my colour in this country. I also wanted to say that the latest part of my journey has been helped by Smee's sermon a couple of weeks ago. I was taught at school about the Great Britain that had saved India, but this year as I helped Jacob with his history homework, I discovered some facts about Britain that made me really angry. The way India was treated has been covered in the last few weeks at church, and I don't need to go into it again. However, I have been trying to work it through along with the terrible killing of George Floyd. And I was deeply, deeply upset by these two things. I realized that I needed to be careful about becoming bitter and twisted about some of how India has been treated. Because although it was wrong, the many friends I have who were white at St. Christopher's have not been racist, abusive, or ever tried to take advantage of me. I needed to find a way to be able to look my white friends in the eye without thinking about what had happened in India all, the, all those years ago. Our friendships here are based on the here and now, and Smee's sermon helped me to recognize I could both embrace my white friends but hold the injustices of racism in my head at the same time. My hope is that we will keep on talking about all things to do with Black Lives Matter. And for each one of us, the truth will set us free. Thank you. <laughs>